Welcome to Ballsy, the podcast where I interview successful artists and creators, and I look at the balls to sell their art and turn their practice into a profitable business. As a former entrepreneur turned artist, I realized that being an artist is basically like running a false art, and you, the artist, are the CEO. I talk to artists about their businesses, talk real numbers, throw tax, tools and tricks, and how they were ballsy enough to make out their career. Welcome to Ballsy. You clearly have had the balls to sell some art. Everybody, I would like to introduce you to Kurt and how do I pronounce it? Hammersley? Hammerly. Um, Hammerly. And it's, it's, it sounds like a good sculptural name, Hammerly. Yeah, it's not and, a, it's a funny thing to make ceramics with. Right. I feel like you should be working in steel or something. Something like that. But this is how it ended up. That's actually a good story. When I first started, uh, I was thinking of either doing blacksmithing, glass blowing, woodworking, or ceramics. But ceramics has the easiest barriers of entry because there's so many community studios that teach classes that you can just hop into on a whim. I went the ceramics route because it was easy at the beginning. You know, it's the path of least resistance. They say that's Absolutely. how it often works. I've taken a wheel throwing class or two in my life. I was not particularly successful. I liked it. I had fun with it. I don't do it too much anymore, but but yeah, that's how I started. Everything was thrown on the wheel. So your work is actually super unique and interesting and has, so obviously this podcast is going to be more focused around the business, the nuts and bolts, the marketing, like how you turned what I assume was a hobby at one point. And it, like, what were those inflection points that you were like, I can do this as a job. And, but before we set that, let's kind of frame like what your art is, what it looks like, because it's super unique and really interesting. And that way people can go look at it while they're listening. So I make porcelain from slipcast molds. So you take liquid clay, you pour it into a plaster mold, and it gives you a form of whatever that mold is. I put a little bit of a twist on it. I went to design school and then I ran a fabrication lab at the university for 10 years after I graduated. And I brought this twist of 3D modeling and 3D printing to the creation of those molds. So all of my forms are designed in the computer at first, and then the molds themselves are designed. And then I use 3D printing technology to bring those molds into real life and then finally make the stuff out of clay. That's why yours has a very kind of like super yeah, geometric. Yeah, my goal is to make stuff that other people can't on the wheel because of geometrical perfection or symmetry or just like hard edges and things like that. My my whole goal is to make stuff that other people can't using my process. Yeah, I mean it's and it and it shows. It's really unique and interesting and different. Found you, I assume, as many other people have via Instagram and the stylistic nature of it, and also just all your like process videos and like that it's like a very intimate look inside your studio. Yes. And, so that's and that's the other part of my process is I share everything because uh, there are certain barriers of entry that I'm past that are hard for other people to jump into. So it's not, I'm not too worried about getting copied outright. And by the way, I hate to break it. Imitation is the, the, is the best form of flattery, right? You, it shows that you've got something that's really cool and that you've got a market. It tends to be like, yeah, sure. There's knockoffs of everything. Absolutely. So it's people out. using my same process and I follow them closely, but none of them are, are anything that I'm concerned about surpassing me. That's a weird thing to say. Cause it's art. It's not a competition. We no, are all sure. in our own lane. As long as someone doesn't come out with my exact same mug with my exact same glazes for a lower price point, 
that would be a problem, but I don't see that happening. And so you design your own glazes and everything as well, huh? Yeah. And that's the other side of the barrier of entry is I have a, I have a very expensive gas computer controlled kiln that was built in Amsterdam and shipped over here. And I make all my own glazes and I've spent the last 10 years learning the chemistry of that and how the different glazes interact and how to fire them. And so there's just all these levels to my practice that makes it challenging for other people to copy. And the fact that you're willing to lift your kimono and put, let everybody behind is the testament to that, right? So it's fun. Bring it on. So how did you first, uh, obviously took a wheel throwing class and that was exciting. How did you get, how did you get from there? I assume it was a hobby when you started. Obviously yeah, so actually worked a little yeah, bit. I got, like, sorry, go ahead. Finish. I was going to say you worked in fabrication. So you clearly had some experience around that. Yeah. So actually I got started because I was riding my bike to work at the university one morning and got hit by a car and broke my neck and seven ribs fractured or ruptured my kidney, spleen, liver, and had a collapsed lung. I spent two weeks in the hospital and three months in a traction halo for the neck break. And when I got out of that neck brace, I took a pottery class because I couldn't go lift weights. I couldn't ride my bike. I was like, dying to get out of the house and do something, but I couldn't do any of the things I used to do. And there's a pottery studio right next to my house. So I took a class, never really intended to take another one. And then my sketchbook started getting filled with ideas. And then I learned about mold making and how people use plaster to make molds for clay. And very quickly, my desire became taking these 10 years, 15 years of experience of 3D modeling and 3D printing and take that kind of disappointing end result of plastic and turn it into an end result that's actually a material that everyone has a 3D printer these days. You print shit out of plastic, show it to your friends, it's cool, but it's like the shitty plastic is not a final product. Right, you don't want to touch it. Yeah, you don't want to touch it, you don't want to eat off of it. So my goal was to take this technology that at the time was pretty new Everyone knows what a 3D printer is now, but 10 years ago, it was a lot more niche. I say that like it was a really long time ago, but it really wasn't. But it was a lot more niche back then. And finding clever ways to, or finding a methodology for turning those 3D models into 3D prints and then finally into clay was what I got hooked on. And luckily, like you said, it was a little bit unique. There were opportunities to capitalize on that via Instagram and show people stuff they'd never seen. Now, when you made that transition, did you, when you started making these things, did you say to yourself, oh, I'm going to sell these? Or were you just making them because it was cool to make them and you like liked what you were doing and you were like, there was an interesting technique here? I didn't sell my first piece until I had 12,000 Instagram followers. I had a full-time job at the university. Wow. I had every intention of staying at that job until I hit my 30-year pension and then I would retire and do something cool with my time. So I started posting on Instagram just for fun. I had been a lurker following other artists for a very long time and was like, hey, if they're sharing what they're doing, I could do that too. That would be fun. So I started putting up pictures and I started putting up videos and people started latching onto it. And then eventually got to this point where people were like, are you ever going to sell any of this shit? I don't know. What is your uh, swearing policy on this? <laughs> No, go ahead. Swear all you want. Uh, okay, good to know. But it was like, people were like, are you going to sell any of this shit? Or are you just going like, to tease us here? And I was like, huh, I've 
never considered that. But when you start doing art or pottery, any kind of art form, and you are really into it, your house just starts getting filled with shit. So you just have like your art everywhere. And people were asking, so I was like, I have some time, I have some extra time. I have this full-time job, but I could get some of this stuff out of my house. So I made an Etsy at that point and sold a couple pieces in the first month. That was really exciting. And as the year went on, no better feeling in the world. Oh yeah. No better feeling. Like when the first person bought something that I made with my hands and they were not my mom, not my friends, like someone that didn't know me put their money out and said, I want this thing that you have made. Here's money. It was like, holy shit, this is the most exciting fucking thing on the planet. It was amazing. And it was like, I worked for the university. I helped students with their work. I helped them build stuff on all of our fabrication equipment, but I designed this and then I built it and it is a finished product you can hold in your hand and someone's giving me money. Yeah, it was, it's the most addicting thing I've ever experienced in my life. It's crack-esque and it's excitement. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And it sounds like so, you were like a pretty conservative dude before that, like that you were not like a entrepreneur at heart. You weren't like so, so I helped some family members start businesses. When I graduated from college, my mom, who was a 30-year elementary school teacher, she came to me and she's like, you just finished design school. She's like, I want to start a company. I want to make board games for kids, like little math games. So we started a company together. I was her designer. It was called Flip Flop Math. And we made little card games and board games for kids. I designed the graphics. She designed the games themselves. I designed the boxes, the website. So I got to see that aspect of marketing and branding and bringing a product to market. Her company no longer exists. And then my brother wanted to start a company and I helped him with some of the branding for that. And then his company didn't end up working out. So I did have little bits and pieces, but not any professional capacity. It was just me helping people um, with various bits of it. And then when I started Hammerly Ceramics, I had access to design students, design professors. And like we, we workshopped my logo and we workshopped like the name. Oh. Should it be Kurt Hammerly or should it be Hammerly Ceramics? And I involved all the people around me in the process, even at that point, even when it wasn't Instagram. When it was just people around me on a daily basis at work, it was always about just like getting people's feedback, sharing with them, getting their ideas, processing that into what it could become. So yeah, no formal experience with starting businesses, but and never intended. I never intended this to be my career. It was okay, always so supposed you, to be just a side thing. So you're now working at design. And what did you study for design? Uh, so I went to basically, let's just say architecture school to simplify okay. it. I, I have a bachelor of industrial design, so it sounds like cool. Yeah. So okay. I leaned into all of those classes, graphics, web design, product design, even though I was in architecture school, I tried to specialize in kind of a smaller scale handheld and digital as I could. Okay. So you're now working, you got a job, you sold your first piece, you, the drug of entrepreneurship has got you hooked. You start selling a bunch of stuff. What is, what, what are the inflection points? Obviously, sales start going up. And at yeah. what point did you say, hey, this is my side hustle. I think I could do this as a full hustle and maybe it's time. Like, at what point did that flip flop on? It was, it was an interesting moment because 
it was it took way longer than everyone thought it should. I've done this in the most careful, conservative-esque way that you can. I I talk to people every day who are like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to make a go at it with art. And I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. But I had, okay, so how do I frame this? Started going well, kept making stuff for Etsy. All of a sudden, that holiday season, I started selling in March. And that Christmas season, I put up my last batch of 80 pieces on Black Friday. And by about December 7th, they were gone. They were all sold out. I had already shipped them out. And I started getting messages on Instagram that were like, hey, where's the stuff? Like my wife, girlfriend, husband, whatever, wants one of your pieces. They specifically told me to get one of your pieces. Where are they? And I was like, I'm done for the year. This is also the end of the semester at the university. So my job gets very busy. So I'm at my job, my day job, being very busy, getting messages on Instagram four or five a day at that point that were like, hey, I need your shit. I have people are like, I have money in my hand. I need a coffee mug. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I'm sorry, but I don't have anything like I'm done for the year. I like I'm doing this part time in my basement, firing on weekends, getting stuff online whenever I can. And then January rolls around. And I make a batch quicker than I ever had. I wasn't planning on having another batch until February or March. January rolls around and I get a batch of about 80 pieces done. And I'm like, okay, this will sustain it for a while. I'll put it online and it's January. No one's spending money. Like everyone already spent all their money during the holidays. And that batch of 80 sold out in a week and a half. And I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy. So... I'm just sitting at my day job being like, I need to make more pottery. How do I do this? And what was the price point at that point? And has it changed till now? What, what, I guess, what are your categories? There's marks, what sort of stuff were you making? How has that evolved over time? It's evolved into other things. We do planters, we do bubblers. Right now, my product offering is actually pretty small but we can get into that later. This is a very weird year. The business has changed and my work is no longer my primary source of revenue, but we can talk about that later. So when I first started, the mugs were 35 a piece. And by the time we're talking about right now in that January, I think I bumped them up to 45. Nowadays, we are seven years later and they are 95 to 100 a piece. And that just happened incrementally over time as demand kept going up and process became more complicated. Like a lot of a lot of people will try to find all the ways they possibly can to simplify their process for their product, but this is art. So I have actually in the last couple of years made my products significantly more challenging to produce, but I like them better and it keeps me entertained. So we keep running with that. And were you in a position where you were pretty much just, as you made, like everything sold out, like you were building up the store inventory or you couldn't even keep up with demand? Couldn't keep up with demand. I always had plans to start doing art shows, local art shows on the weekend, go set up a booth, sell my work there. But online, it just kept vanishing. And like, I was, I'm sitting there at this point, I have, I think I have 50,000 followers and I'm going into this new semester at work and I'm like, holy shit, like this is, this seems too good to be true. It seems like it can't sustain itself, whatever. It's just crazy. So I just keep going, 
making stuff, selling it instantly, making stuff, selling it instantly. Instagram keeps growing. By that summer, I think I was at like 75,000 followers. And my mom came to one of the kiln unloadings. This is when, before I had my own kiln, I was firing at a community center and I would live stream every single unloading. And that was what built this hype for the sales. So I'm in there and I'm... Super interesting. So you, where would you live stream it on? On Instagram. Oh, you do live video on Instagram? Not anymore. It's really not, it's not what it used to be, but like I used to live stream a video to two or 300 people and then it would save it for 24 hours and four or 5,000 people would watch it over the course of that 24 hours. So I'm doing this live stream and unloading the kiln and my mom is on her phone watching the live stream as she watches me and seeing the interactions and seeing the comments. And when we close down the live stream and start unloading the kiln, she's wow, this actually seems like it could be like, like something you could do for a living. And I was by no means waiting for her approval, but my mom is an incredibly fiscally conservative human. And she worked in the same classroom as an elementary school teacher for 31 years. Like she, she just, she did what she was supposed to do. She made her living and uh, didn't, didn't risk too much in her career. She was raising three kids and so on and so forth. So it's totally understandable. But for my mother to say that to me, and be like, wow, may, like I was not raised to be an artist. I was raised to be an engineer. So for my mom to give even the slightest indication that she thinks that me making art for a living could be a viable career path was just like, holy shit, maybe it is. Being as cautious as I am, I went to my boss and said, hey, I want to go down to three days a week instead of five. I don't want to work full time anymore. I want to make a go. All, everyone at work knew what I was doing. And they said no. And I was like, you let wow. you let new mothers, you let people in other situations have a flexible schedule. Why won't you let me? And they were like, oh, it's different, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, when I quit. And they were like, whoa, hold up. And then <laughs> she, she went to the, I know. And she didn't call my bluff, fortunately, because I was not in a position in my mind that I was ready to quit. Along this whole line, like I'm still building my skills as an artist. I still felt like an absolute novice with what I was doing. And yes, I had this novel approach with the 3D printing, but my work still very much was not good enough in my opinion. I still don't think it is, but that's, that's a different thing. Yeah, so I go down to three days a week and they let me do it. And so now I'm doing three days at the university and four days dedicated to pottery. And there is a three month period where I made more money with pottery four days on my like part-time schedule than I ever would at my career. Like I was staring well, down the barrel. Like, there were no promotions without a master's degree or a PhD at the university staff level. There's nowhere to go. So I was in this position where I was just looking at one to 2% raises every year for the rest of my life. And there was this three month period where selling pottery on Etsy completely demolished that salary. And I was like, holy crap, if this happens a couple more months, I'm going to quit completely. And that's exactly what happened. I just kept making more stuff, kept improving, came out with new designs, came out with new glazes, kept building the Instagram. I think by the time I quit my job, I was at like, I think I was at a hundred and... 10,000. I don't even remember at this point. How many inbounds a day would you get from Instagram? Or did they, or did they, did they just find you 
did you just direct them to Etsy? Was it like, was there outreach or was there like a funnel in some way that got your customer? Oh, it was, it was basically posts funneling to the one link in my profile. That was the Etsy. Okay. So it was like, look at your profile. I could click Etsy and I go buy stuff. Exactly. And early on, because of the way that ceramics works is like you spend all your time making a batch and then you fire it all at once. It's changed a little bit now that I have my own kiln and we're firing every single day. But back then it was like, I fired the kiln up at the community center once a month. And that was my batch. By the end, it was, I was firing two kilns at once right next to each other. And that was my batch. But this batch process, very, this batch process coupled with my willingness to share the process created this month-long hype leading up until the final like you open that kiln door and all of the beautiful stuff is on display and at the time i didn't realize that i was it was not intentional it was a byproduct of the process but it was over the course of the month people are like can i buy something and i'm like it's not done yet and they're like when will it be done and i'm like in about two weeks you should sign up for my email list and when it's all done, I will send out an email and then it will go up for sale. And for about three years straight, I had this hype model where once a month we did a drop and everything else on Instagram wasn't even being salesy. It was just showing the process up until the end. And at the end, people were like, holy shit, I've watched this whole process this month and now it's done. And it really it took is, this thing where this drop. It creates this drama, but it also justifies the price where I know a lot of people that go and they sell their art at art fairs. And when I go to art fairs and I talk to artists and they don't know that I'm an artist as well, they're constantly like they're saying words and sentences to try to justify to people like this takes a long time. This takes a lot of work. And they're desperately trying to convince people that the price tag is justified by an amount of work. So I just show it all. I show every single step of the process and people are like, wow, you've been working on that one piece technically for a month. And it's, yeah, this is a batch process and there are many steps involved. You have to wait for stuff to dry. You have to wait for stuff to cool. You have to do all of these different things. And just that act of sharing the drama of it, like you said, like sharing the successes, sharing the failures, all of it just builds rapport with your following to the point where they are willing to open their wallets for you. And it creates scarcity. You, you figured out the NFT drop before NFTs. Honestly, I didn't figure anything out. Nike was doing this before I was. They were just doing it on right. a bigger scale. They like doing a monthly drop where it's, I have a timer on my Instagram stories. And when that timer hits zero, you can hit the buy button. Like we're actually doing one tonight. So all of this work over here we have 297 pieces going up for sale at 6 p.m. tonight. And what's the turnaround time, do you think, in, in the market you have now that those things sell? Does it take you an hour? Does it take a couple of days? Does it take a month? Does it... It's hard to say, and we're in a, we're in a standard distribution. 80% of the customers are going for 20% of the pieces. Because I have so much dramatic variety in color and texture and patterns, there are definitely the ones that are more sought after and the ones that are less sought after. Like I said, this year has been different. Nor like Up until this year, I've done a drop every single month, and this year we've done three. And why is that? Because I'm making... Geez, 
I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this. Okay. I'm doing a wholesale. I have a wholesale thing that I do with Seth Rogen. Oh. We okay. make we make ashtrays for his his company house plant. Wow, that's fucking cool. I didn't know yeah. he had a company, and I didn't like how did that. That's like a, we're gonna have to get back on that tangent. Like how <laughs> started. Yeah, that's I, just Instagram. He's, he's either on Instagram a lot, or you smoke a lot of weed. One of the two. He, uh, him, and his wife started doing pottery at the beginning of the pandemic, and he started following a handful of the ceramic artists on Instagram. And one day, a friend of mine reached out, and she was like, "Did you know that Seth Rogen follows you?" And I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And I looked, and he did. And I was, I went to his page, and I looked at what him and his wife were doing, and it was like, "Holy shit, they're doing it!" And then at some point later, I can't I really don't think I can give any details, but at some point later he reached out to me because he was looking for someone to make some stuff. Congrats, man. Very nice. Thank you. It's it's so I would assume that means the demand of the pieces being that your production's way less for public facing, that your that the demand is probably higher. Did you get did COVID help you or hurt you? Oh, last year was the most insane year of my life. We did half a million in revenue. COVID was, oh, thank you. Yeah. We had doubled revenue every year for four years straight. And then at the end of 2020, I was like, there's no way that we can double it again. There's absolutely no way, but COVID was great because everyone was in their house online. There's actually, in my experience, in my the friends that I talk to, it seems like now is actually a, a fairly significant drought for selling stuff on selling art online is because people are getting back out into the world. They're spending their money on experiences, trips, stuff like that. But yeah, for online artists, obviously not everyone, but for the online artists that I know and I talk with on a regular basis, COVID was absolutely amazing for the online ones. Yeah, and also your price point was very is an attainable price point. Like you're not selling ten thousand dollar pieces of art. You're selling you're selling high priced but achievable yeah. for most people. Yeah, an older Potter years ago told me never forget you are in the business of selling expensive gifts. It's a gift on a level that is just it's not something that a lot of people would normally spend for themselves, but splurging for a friend or family member now, is Is there possible. like a margin in these in these pots, like at scale? And like, obviously you've picked up a bunch of over. So you start, hold on, let's go back a little bit, then we'll go forward. You've now said, okay, I'm making enough money. I've beat my salary. I'm not going back. That's it. I'm ejecting. I quit. You start your business. You're still using the community center, for God's sake. So yeah. a side hustle and a side hustle, right? And so you're, <laughs> they must love you the, so you're doing that at what point, I, like, I assume you have, I assume you have employees by this point. Like, it looks like you have a decent yep. sized facility. Like, what does that curve look like in terms okay. of, of cost, risk, bringing on your first yeah. employee? What does that look like? How scary was that for you? I leave the job. I have a studio that I've built in my basement. So I'm in my basement. I'm hauling clay down the stairs. I'm hauling clay up the stairs. I'm packing it into my car. I'm driving it half an hour away to Boulder. And I'm firing it in their kilns. After, let's say, nine months of that, my brother comes to me. My brother was a middle school math teacher. And the school that he taught at had a school shooting. And he was just a couple classrooms away from it. And after that, he was like, I don't want to teach anymore. 
We've always talked about starting a business together. You have a business. I don't need full time. Could I come and work for you? And I was like, ah, shit. The two of us shoulder to shoulder in this tiny little basement sounds like a fucking nightmare. But I was like, no, I'd love for you to come work for me. I could definitely use some help. If I can teach you a couple parts of this process, it will leave me time to come out with new designs, to iterate new glazes. So my brother was my first employee and he still works for me. It was terrifying because up until then, this was when I was just recently married. I did not have a kid yet. My wife worked and it was like, if in, if this collapses, we can make it work. I can find another job. Tracy's income can carry us. But then as soon as I hired my brother, it's, oh shit, like my ability to sell mugs on the internet is not only feeding me now, but it's supporting my brother's family as well. And that is something that I still struggle with to this day. But then Greg came in. Yeah. But then Greg came in and he, the, I don't mean this in any arrogant way at all, but the two of us put together can do just about anything. He has all the skills that I don't have, and I have all the skills that he doesn't have, and it works immaculately well for running a business. So we start talking. One plus one equals five. Yeah, and it really does. What Greg has done for the business is unbelievably helpful. And game changing. At this point, I am getting sick of firing at the community center. I'm getting sick of hauling my work up there. I'm getting sick of all of the members up there telling me you're not allowed to do production in our facility. And I'm like, come on, like I'm doing 90% of it at my house. I just need to fire there. And they just, it just wasn't a great, it just wasn't a great situation. So this guy came from a company called Blau. And they make the, for all intents and purposes, they make the Tesla pottery kilns. Not in the sense that it's electric powered because mine is gas, but it is computer controlled, hyper efficient compared to kilns built here in America. It is, and the key thing is that it has an 18 hour firing cycle. So most of the time you fire up your pottery kiln and you have to wait at least like 24 hours for it to cool. This one goes up to temperature and back down to room temperature in 18 hours. So we can fire every single day. So I take the two and a half years of profit from the company because I've been living off of my salary from the university and I send a deposit. I send $50,000 to Amsterdam for them to build me this custom kiln and wanted to put it at my house. Couldn't put it at my house. It's a fucking giant monstrosity. And my neighbors would have hated me and the city would have hated me. And can this business not only support my livelihood, my brother's livelihood, but can we put, can we have the overhead of a rental space and still make it work? And so we found, I'm actually in our second space right now that we got just last November, but the first space that we got, um, it's 1400 square feet and it was me and my brother. And so we went from my basement and firing at the community center to 1400 square feet having a kiln in the back. And now all of a sudden we can do every single step of the process within four walls. We build a shipping station out. We get everything built out for efficiency. We have a, a photo booth that can be set up and taken down very quickly. And we just start cranking. And we have that first. So this is the timing. We got in here right before COVID. 
the November, right before COVID was our grand opening. And we had a huge holiday season online. And then in January, the whole plan was to build out a storefront and all of this shit. And then by February, COVID happens. And it's like, oh, shit, like, we're not selling in person. That doesn't even make any sense. So we're like, okay, we're going to lean into this. We are going to pivot and dedicate all of our energy to selling online. And just because I was terrified. I graduated in college right before 2008 recession. And I quit my job fucking before COVID. So I don't have the best timing in the world. But maybe I do that because, yeah, we were terrified. Like we shut the studio down for a while, like even just the two of us in the studio, because we just didn't know what the hell was going on. But then by that summer, it's going so crazy. And I'm standing at a table doing basically like some of the grunt work, some of the kind of more repetitive, tedious stuff with my brother. And he looks at me and he's, this isn't worth your fucking time. You need to hire more people. And I was a little skeptical, but then a week and a half later, my wife came to me and said she was pregnant. And I was like, ah, shit, it's time to hire people. Obviously the plan. I know, but that's how that, okay. So that's a great point to bring up because that's how this has to work. You have to be able to manage those expenses. And, but at some point it's hope for the best. Like now we have, I have five employees, one full-time, four part-time, two studio rentals, utilities, materials, all of this stuff. Like when I first started, when I first started this, the overhead was nothing. I was in my basement. It was me alone. I paid 60 bucks for a kiln firing. I could make my old salary at CU Boulder. Not effortlessly. It was still a ton of work, but compared to everything that I do now, it was fairly, it was a fairly chill lifestyle, just making pottery in the basement and selling it. What was your margin uh, back then versus your margin now? I assume it's tighter. Or maybe not because your prices have gone up. Has the margin stayed It's not. We have found the margins have stayed around the same. It's hard to say exactly the margins because back then I wasn't really paying myself. When it was just me, it was an LLC and it was the money is just mine. Yeah. So it was like, it's hard to say what your profit margin is because all the profit was my income. Can I ask you a quick question on that that you brought up? At what point did you say, oh, let me incorporate? You obviously, let let me treat this as a business and incorporate because the people listening to this, um, I assume, are early upstart. Like those, those are like, when did you make that choice? Yep. And the key to that is get an accountant. I was a sole proprietor LLC for the first couple of years. And then as soon as I hired my brother for the first six months, I was paying him as a contractor because we hadn't figured out exactly how to do it. And then that January, right after the holidays, we found an accountant that we still use. He's awesome. And we had him into the studio and we told him everything, showed him the numbers. And he was like, you absolutely should incorporate. Like if you're going to have more employees than just yourself, you should incorporate. That was his advice at the time. Obviously, it's not my, I don't know anything about that. kind. I know very little about the accounting stuff, but like finding an accountant has been one of the best business decisions I ever made. Finding people who are smarter than you and better than you at the place. Yeah. I have to say, I found a great accountant who I live and die by. Yeah. Some of the stuff that this guy does at the end of the year, I'm like, I thought I was going to have to throw another 12 grand at this. And he's like, no, you're getting four back. And I'm like, what are you talking about, sir? Good, <laughs> it's what just people crazy. don't realize is good accounts are more of artists than we are. Yeah. A good accountant is a different type. Some now, of the stuff this guy tells me, I'm like, 
that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. Now, so nowadays, so as a, so did you ever take, did you ever do like outside funding or this was just generate, like it's just funded itself? No, over we have uh, funded itself off of cash flow for those Absolutely. first two and a half years. I saved every single penny. I lived off my university salary and that's what bought the kiln. And that $50,000 investment, we've put $1.3 million worth of pottery through it in the last two and a half years or three, three years at this point. So it's like, I'm absolutely terrified of debt. I have my mortgage and that's it. My brother and I, throughout our adult lives, we talk about finances all the time. It's great to have someone very intelligent to talk about with these things. But yeah, it's all been funded. We, I think at one point, my brother said, we, we move at the speed of cash. If we need something, we save up for it. At this point, I have a disturbingly large safety net, financial safety net, because I, I am terrified of the day I ever have to fire anyone that really I've been working yeah. with these people for a while and I hope it never happens. But if it does, it at least won't be just a catastrophic crash. We will have, I'll be able to keep paying them for a while, even if I know that I have to let them go for whatever reason. And just to keep it afloat, because yeah, my, I have an 18 month old now. My wife is not working right now. Uh, my brother's livelihood depends on me. Yeah, so I'm sure, you have, I'm sure you're not keeps growing every month. Like I'm sure you have. So that's my next question. What do you, I'm always curious, what do you spend these days? What do you spend the most money on? And what do you spend most of your time doing? I spend the vast majority of money on technology and equipment for the studio. I, I have always been a tech toy person. Okay. And now I get to buy those things as a tax write-off. So it works out yeah. very nicely. Appreciate um, so I have... 3D printers and CNC milling machines. And if I can get, I have a little bit more testing on a project to do, but if I can get that to work, I'm looking to drop another 13,000 on a bigger CNC machine. And that will hopefully lead me to making the like $10,000 pieces like you're talking about. I have some plans for, I would love to dip my toe in the fine art world. It's a weird yeah, you have What's nice is you come with this audience and you come with all this stuff. So like yeah. that leg in becomes even easier. Did you, yeah. um, how much time now, I always ask this, do you spend making art versus all the things it takes you to sell the art you're making? Right now, I spend, I separate research and development out from the making art, but I don't know, what's your definition of that? Is it the production of the art to sell or you, is it they research? A just because you have a, 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 like a production, like you have a, like an actual factory and production model. So I would yeah. actually probably... I would probably classify the making art part as the research and development part, because that I think is what's where the, the create, where the creativity lies. And in your particular case, yeah. I would qualify the, like for, for in, in my concept of you creating, to me, it would be the research and development, yeah. it would be the creation. Yeah. Process. So this summer was great. We have the Seth Rogen gig. We have my work that the employees spend their time making. And then I'm actually doing, or I guess backtrack. So this summer was great. I did a ton of research and development, some of which is coming together into projects for the holiday season. So now all of that is tabled. Right now it's, we are in holiday mode. Okay. We are trying to make a thousand Christmas ornaments. We are trying to make just as many pieces as we possibly can to move through the doors in the next couple of months. So the research and development is pretty tabled for now. I also picked up a project for another company that I can't even tell you the name of, but it so is contract. a contract work for a company that is bigger than I could possibly imagine. 
Okay. It's something that will never see the light of day. It's an internal project. It's taking up a bunch of time. So I've just, my own work and my research and development shifts based on whatever comes my way, because I am still interested in seeing exactly where where this can go. It's interesting. No one ever comes to me. I don't mean anything bad by this because it doesn't bother me at all. No one ever comes to me for my art. They either come to me to talk business or right. they come to me to talk development and production, um, right. which that's fine. I'm fine being known as someone that is really good at production, really good at developing products and someone that is good enough at business to talk about it on a podcast. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, that at some point it'll full circle its way back for you. The, I'm sure. I hope so. And so that would like, be cool. What percentage of your sales are Christmas versus the rest of the like, I assume a lot of your business is focused in the holiday season or is it neutral throughout the year because of the way you do? I would say we do about this year's different. This year's weird as hell, but most years it was about a third between November and December. Like okay. basically November 1st hits. And we are in holiday mode until last ship day with UPS, which will be about the 17th. Okay, is when we cut it a little earlier. I would rather just cut it a couple days early than risk people being mad. So we usually just pick the 17th of December is our last day of the year. And, and we just race until then. We'll fire the kiln every single day. Now, yeah, I can't even fathom of how crazy it gets the packing and just like, it's got to be insane. It's pretty wild. Taking a little twist, and we'll briefly talk about it, but customer acquisition and marketing. Obviously, Instagram is, has been your channel, and Etsy, yeah. obviously. You still use well, Etsy? I, nope. We, at the beginning of COVID, we had been wanting to get away from Etsy for a while, and Why? at some point, you outgrow Etsy, in my opinion. One, you're not allowed to collect email addresses or customer information. The customers are Etsy's customers, not your customers. They yeah. are very clear about that, and it's annoying as fuck. Two, the way that we're doing our batch launch, even when we were on Etsy, it got to the point that if I just put a bunch of stuff up at 6 p.m. and no one had seen it before, it was a bloodbath. People got so upset because they were buying shit without even waiting for the pictures to load because they were afraid that it would be gone by the time the pictures loaded. So what we did is I also simultaneously had a Squarespace website and I would load all the pictures with numbered little number tags on each mug, each bowl, each planter onto Squarespace. And we do a preview for a couple days. And my link on Instagram would change to the Squarespace site. It was confusing and terrible. And I can't fucking believe we did it for two years. But at the beginning of COVID, I was like, okay, we're doing Shopify can you do this? And my brother's absolutely. So he learned Shopify. He learned all that shit. He made us a Shopify store. Shopify is fucking amazing. Yeah, I definitely. absolutely love it. So like right now on our website, you can go see all of the items that are going up for sale tonight. They've been up there for three days. You can see all the pictures, zoom in, look at them up close, write down your favorite numbers. And then tonight at 6 PM, hit the refresh button and the add to cart button will appear and people actually now have a better idea of what they're buying so they don't get upset after the fact. That's it. It's one of those things that's actually really interesting and the idea of actually owning your customer. And this goes to your, I talked to a bunch of people who are also in the fine art space and there people get stuck in the gallery world where the gallery, yep. aside from taking 50% of their business, yep. own, also owns the customer. Um, yeah. And so it is, 
it's one of the most important, I think it's one of the most important things. And now with social the way it is, that it allows artists to communicate directly with their audience, with their customer oh, yeah. and because and build that, like how many people are on your email list? 12,000. Nice. See, that's like, like that's how yeah. you build a business. Absolutely. So, Cause even if Instagram does kick me off for whatever reason or Instagram, who knows right, what changes happens. the algos. The, the, that, that is one thing for people listening to this, get an email list. The email list is literally the only thing you can own to connect with your customers. Everything else is someone else's shit. So have you diversified out? So you're Shopify now, you've dumped Etsy, you're focused mostly on Instagram. As these other platforms came up, did you deal with, did you do YouTube or TikTok or, cause your thing has, feels like it could have a big TikTok impact no. on it. I posted like a handful of videos on TikTok. I actually really despise TikTok, just the way that it functions. It's a meat grinder for content. There's no way to really build a rapport with your following. It's just people chugging through stuff. So I don't personally like it. Yeah. I did, however, post videos there for a while. And somehow I have 50,000 followers over there. That, I didn't the ever really try. Yeah. YouTube, I have tried three separate times and I okay. can never get the, I can never justify the time investment for no money upfront. Obviously YouTube can be an amazing platform and you can make money from it. You can gain from it and all of this stuff. But when I'm already selling almost everything that I make or everything that I make, it's really hard to invest a significant amount of time per week, per month into something brand new. So I tried the first time got professional equipment, tried to make the highest quality, most edited videos I possibly could. Burnt out on that after three videos. Then I went in and I'm like, okay, I'm doing this different. Phones are good enough now. I got this little gimbal. I'm just gonna do simply recording, kind of expanding on what I do with my stories and just showing people this is what I'm doing on a daily basis. Simple cuts, simple edits, just put it out there. It still was just too much work and I could yeah. never get into the position where it made sense because between 20 hours a week marketing on Instagram and then adding another 20 or 30 hours a week on YouTube, like that's the full-time job, not even making my work. So here, I have two questions for you there. One, you do all your own social. I do. And I plan to always do that. Now, when you say you're spending 20 hours a week on Instagram, what, what's eating up that? What that was in the past. It's a lot right, less right. now. My yeah, goal was, Three well, videos well, and two pictures a week back okay, in the that day. Does, that sounds attainable. I did that for almost four years. That's why you I have believe. as many followers yeah. as you do. Yeah. And, and now so it's, yeah. Oh, and that's the insane thing is a lot of times if I do a podcast like this, or if I'm talking to someone that's trying to do it, they're like, when was, when did you have your big break? What happened sure. that grew your following? And you're like, no, no, you don't understand. It doesn't fucking work that way. Like I've had consistent follower growth over the last seven years. I actually had my most, my biggest post ever. Everyone says Instagram is dead and it's impossible to grow. I just had my biggest post ever by a wide margin. I have a video that's at like 12.8 million views wow. and I've got 23,000 followers in the last two weeks because of it. Yeah, so I, it's like, you never know when it's going to happen. You just keep way, making I just videos. Had, I just had one of mine did 1.2 million, which I thought was for me was the most, I was probably, more, yeah. than, was probably yeah. more than everything else I've ever done combined. Got 5,000 followers in two, yeah. 5,000 followers. It is a, 
it is for sure not dead. Um, and look, I think that the, the thing we joke about, the one nice thing about TikTok, if you, TikTok, it's a meritocracy, right? Like best content mm -hmm. wins. And so you can go from zero to a million oh, dollars yeah. very yep. quickly, as opposed to yeah, the uh... that was Insta. And I yeah. think there, Insta people hate the way it's going, but I think it might mm -hmm. be good for some of them. I talk to people about this all the time because I still think that Instagram is a true meritocracy. It just doesn't have the TikTok has a scale curve that is absurd. It's insane. Yeah, you can just make two videos. And if one of those videos is really cool, you can hit 100 million views. But with Instagram, I talk to people about that all the time is it's yeah, it is consistency. But it's also just knowing the audience on Instagram has matured in my opinion in not so much as like they've gotten older but that it used to be so easy to show them something that they've never seen when i first got on instagram i got my first fifty thousand followers from throwing videos not from yeah. mold making and stuff like that but it doesn't work that way anymore because now a days the vast majority of people that are even remotely or tertiarily interested in pottery have seen throwing on the wheel it's not as novel it's not as easy to get those likes you used to be able to just shoot a 20 minute video put a 2000 percent speed increase on it and just make a just disgustingly fast-paced hyperlapse video but that shit doesn't work anymore now you have to do multiple angles you have to do real-time cuts showing each individual part of the process for just long enough that people know what you're doing but not too long that they can process it to the point they get bored so May, everyone blames the Instagram algorithm for this, but that's fucking bullshit. Like the Instagram algorithm is just a meritocracy. And if you make good content, you will grow. Um, did you ever do advertising yeah. or anything like that or just all organic? So back in the day, I did it three separate times because I was giving, I was giving talks at local places. I gave a talk at a convention once on Instagram for artists. It was actually what the talk was called. And I felt that I needed to at least have experience with ads because I had been fully organic until then. And basically my, where it landed was that you would have to pay so much fucking money to gain traction on Instagram with paid ads. Like it's obscene how much money you'd have to spend. Yeah. Like that 12.8 million view video, that would probably cost a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. It's yeah. Make it, just make awesome content. You probably become yeah, a very I've got I've become a very lazy video editor. I've I have I'm always I'm always trying to here, we're talking about business. The whole thing here is efficiency. That twelve point eight million view Instagram reel, I filmed it in twenty minutes on and off because I had to wait between the steps. I edited it in ten. It took me six minutes to pick a song. So 35 minutes of my time became 23,000 followers. What's that worth? Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> I, it's like more than all the followers I've ever accumulated. It's amazing. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. But God bless the internet. You, you, yeah, you never know when it's going to happen. You just have to, what I always tell people is you just have to make the best quality content you possibly can and make it regularly and, and then and just you, try to get better. Also, you've also just narrowed down to one or two particular platforms. Yep. My big diversification was the, the ashtrays. That was so last year during the summer when Seth approached me, I was in a position where it was like, this is getting scary. 
we are having to sell 400 or so $100 mugs per month to perpetuate this business. That can't keep going. There's, I, in my mind, I just don't feel like, even with my huge following, I don't feel like I have the sales capacity for that. And it was just like, wow, it's my livelihood, my family, my baby, my brother, all of my employees. Like we have to find something to diversify this or it's just going to remain too volatile and stressful. And so that's just a, that, that's a rev share. That's like, that's a contract gig. That's a, it's basically, yeah, we're on a contract. It's you intermittent. Teach, do you teach classes as well? I, for some reason, I nope. thought I came across that. I have online workshops that have been okay. very lucrative. They have um, so I have, they have, they have between the mold making 101 and the slip casting 101, we've sold over a thousand of them. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a real business. Yeah. Yep. And okay. I always want to make more. I just have not found the time because I just keep picking up other shit. It's crazy. You should just it's weird to be in a position. You should just have someone follow you around to like start building classes. I know. Like, because the class is paying, once you build one, it pays indefinitely. And you have such a specific uh, skill set from a technological yeah. basis. Yeah. Like, I glue balls together. Like it's not that complicated. Yep. You have, like, you have technical prowess. Right? Yeah. That, um, that seems to me like a solid angle. Yeah, that's one of the next, the like Hammerly Ceramics Masterclass will be the like 20 hours of content start to finish. This is how I start with a 3D model. I start with a sketch, turn it into a 3D model, turn that 3D model into the molds, print them, silicone them, plaster, porcelain. Like has. Okay. I said no to them because... I probably should have said yes. It's always hard to know when people reach out with business opportunities. There's no way to know if it's going to be good or not. Because they're like, oh, we'll give you 5% of all sales. And you're like, what the 5% is fucking nothing. Right. Is it brand I, additive or brand, is it brand accretive or brand destructive? Yeah. Because you don't know. You're like, do you have 20 million people that could – are you going to bring – is your marketing potential going to bring a million people to watch my workshop? Probably not. It's pretty niche. So I'd rather do it myself. Right? Yeah. Like, yep. You'll probably make um, more money than their five percent, right? Like absolutely. Yeah. Do making this master class workshop, now that I feel like I'm actually at a point where I could do that, it would take a month of work. I'd probably charge five to eight hundred dollars per seat. There'd be like a QA involved where you can ask me questions whenever you take the class. Yeah, look at that guy. I just, uh, that guy there. The, the videographer guy. Casey Nyset or whatever his name is, he just, I was looking at one mm -hmm. of his classes and I'm sure he sells a gazillion of them. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, we, platforms. So we're running, towards the just... end of the, we're running towards the end of the hour. I like to ask two kind of big questions just so like the, the opposite ends of the pole. What was your biggest mistake ever? You're like, oh my God, it's almost destroyed me. Like, why did I do this? And to bump up against that, what's your greatest achievement? That first one is a very interesting question because I don't, I haven't had that. I have okay, played okay. this game. I've played this game so safe that at every single level, I have had multiple months of cushion. So for example, last year I came up with this mug design. I think it was the coolest one I've ever come up with. I actually just redid it. So this was from last year. Yeah, super cool. And I pre-sold 109 of them. And then it started failing. 
So I had to refund over $10,000 worth of pre-orders because I couldn't get it to work. The, this black surface started bubbling inside the kiln and I couldn't figure out why at the time. Like my chemistry knowledge wasn't there yet. And now I'm not launching his pre-orders because I'm not redoing that same mistake. But there was a time last year, right before the holidays, where I had to refund $10,000 after doing all the work. But this is the insane thing, is that last year we did $500,000 in revenue and refunding $10,000 and missing out on all that time. Like we could have done more revenue if this would have worked, but I have just positioned myself that it didn't destroy us. There's no one thing that we could do here that would destroy us, which is by design. Absolutely. And slow and steady wins the race, but this has still grown way faster than I ever possibly could have imagined. Awesome. Yeah. And then, sorry, what was the other question? It's going to probably like, like you think you're like, like there's that that saying, like linear growth curves, like if you look at the exponential growth curve, when you stand on it, it feels linear until it goes parabolic on you and sounds like just from all the things and seeing what you're doing that that you're probably like way down here of the curve that's about to go parabolic on you so this is going to get fun so the next and we'll see because that's the weird thing is i don't see how it's possible without scaling up production huge which i have no interest in doing so this is i know we're at the end of the time but my plan is that in the next five years i'm back in a home studio on a property that I own, but it's like a bigger home studio, like a thousand square foot steel frame building. But I want to get smaller, but have higher price point work. You want to make art. Yeah. The production and the managing employees is not my favorite thing in the world. So we'll see that I accept that. I know. uh, my last question was, what's, what do you feel what, like your greatest achievement in, this, in, in building this? I think that my greatest achievement in building this is the consistency. I have managed to, I have been burnt out along the way many times for many different reasons, but I have managed to pull out of it quickly every single time and just get back to work. And I think that's... I've been doing this for seven years now, and I've made friends along the way that are doing similar things. And a lot of them have fallen off along the way. They've either fallen off and disappeared, or their growth has completely stopped because they are burnt out on the marketing, or they're burnt out on the production, or they're burnt out on whatever it is. Like they just, I think that is my, I think that is my greatest accomplishment. And greatest superpower in all of this is that I have managed to stay extremely passionate about everything that I'm doing. I had a guy asking me last week, he was one of the guys that I got on Instagram from watching him because he's so awesome. And he was like, dude, how the fuck do you get in your stories and still sound excited after all these years? He's like, I am so sick of making Instagram content. And I'm like, I don't know, dude, I just get in front of the camera and talk about exactly what I'm excited about at that current time. I'm always doing R&D, even if it's half an hour a day. I have three or four projects running at once, and I make sure that I get that half an hour of R&D so that I'm keeping excited about what I'm doing. And it doesn't just become like this terrible slog where it's like, oh, I'm just a fucking mug factory. Right. The war of art, man. Doing that little bit of like actual creative work. Yeah. Yeah. How do people find you? How do people buy your stuff? How do people track you down? 
Definitely follow on Instagram at Hammerly Ceramics. That is the best place. And then HammerlyCeramics.com is the website. We talked a lot about the monthly releases here. We never actually got a chance to talk about the fact that about a year and a half ago, we started launching perpetual pre-orders on the website. To We ran into an issue where 99% of the time we were completely sold out, but we were still having friends, family members. Hey, my sister told me to come buy one of your mugs. What the fuck? So now we have pre-orders on the website to capture that traffic from the people that are either buying gifts or whatever, but they are not the avid kind of followers that pay attention to every single post and every single story and stuff like that. Uh, by the way, I, I know we're like veering back into podcast land, but like th those, those little things to, to create that demand and to yeah. see that and to be able to absorb that demand, realizing that you have more demand than you can supply yeah. is, is super creative and super interesting. And I don't think nearly enough people like I've, I saw a lot of it, like that kind of forcing function stuff in NFT land, but in like regular mm -hmm. art land, like it didn't yeah. even occur to me to like to structure releases in such a way where you create that, that hype or the, yep. the hype cycle around it. And it's super it's absolutely hype. There could be a couple hundred people right now with alarms on their phone for so, three hours so from now. It's so crazy. Never could have imagined in my entire life. But just to bring this all together, like the business side of it, in my mind, is easy. A problem presents itself and you find a way to solve it. The thing that I think is the hardest personally is the marketing. Getting in front of people that want what you have and then keeping their attention over a long period of time is the most nebulous and frustrating thing imaginable. But that's why I try to never get sick of the marketing because you can never have too much. I know a lot of people that are like, okay, I'm selling my work. I'm going to like slack off on the Instagram. And it's like, you shouldn't do that. And, and what people don't realize, people think they can do it up to a point. And it's, it's over time. Yeah. The consistency is the only thing that matters. Yeah. And the, it, it's that it's bumping up against crappy views all the time. Yeah. The time you get your 12 million. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. By the way, absolutely. This was an absolute joy. I, I, this was Good. Better than I could possibly hope. This, I'm, I was fascinated to learn all this stuff. I'm going to follow you even more intently now. Cool, man. When you start doing that. Like, the art and you like have your next jump, let's get you back. And I want to hear about like how that transition takes place. That sounds good. I have good plans. If a couple things at the end of this year line up perfectly, I will hopefully be spending three months at the beginning of next year solely focused on the bigger fine art stuff. Congratulations. I can't wait. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Very cool. An absolute pleasure, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate thanks. it. Thanks for having the balls to start a business. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome.